my third sermon in a series on a marriage made in heaven. How many of you have a marriage made in heaven? We're starting to get it. <clears throat> the only ones that shouldn't have raised their hands are the ones that aren't married. <clears throat> Even if we married the wrong person at the wrong time and we're still married to them, it's a marriage made in heaven. Okay, God's grace is sufficient. So this morning we're going to go a little bit beyond the husband and wife, but it's all about the husband and wife. And I'm going to talk about Christian parenting. And if you're hoping when you hear that, if you cringe, first of all, I'm sorry. I've got to tell you, when, when you prepare sermons and study about marriage and parenting for weeks on end, it's so convicting because I fail so miserably at so much. And you can either go in a hole and feel bad about that, or you can say, thank goodness for the grace of God, that that's not who I am, I'm not who I'm going to be, but I'm somewhere on the way. And if my children are here, they're probably going to say amen during this sermon way too many times. But let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for the truths of your word, that we can stand on your word with unwavering faith and confidence, not because of anything that's in us except for the Holy Spirit, but because of who you are, that you are truth, that you are love. And your truth declares your love for us, no matter what, that you love us. So I pray, Lord, as I look into your word in the area of parenting, uh, you help me to articulate what's on my heart and in your heart, I hope, and to receive it in such a way that it brings blessing. Now, if you're looking for or expecting me to give you, you know, 27 points on how to be a better parent, you'll be disappointed today. That's not what I'm going to do. We'll get into a little bit of practical, but I think there's some things that have to be the groundwork before we get to any kind of list of how-tos, because there's so many things that are so important. And I want you to, to start this whole thing with, I'm talking about Christian parenting, Okay. I don't have the same expectations for those who are not Christians. Um, I'd like to excuse a lot of my early years because I wasn't saved. But I still was the husband and father. and There's still some responsibility there. But once we are saved, things should become different. Remember the time, for those of us that have been parents, and I realize that's not all of us, but if you were a parent, can you remember that time when your first child was put in your hands for the very first time? Gal, something happened inside. Hold that little baby for the very first time. You discover something in there that you really didn't even know was there for sure. You'd heard people talk about it, and then all of a sudden, there it is. And you have this sense of awe, amazement of this beautiful little creation. You, you're excited, I would guess, relieved. And then after a day or two, they send you home and you go, oh my goodness, I'm not ready for this. I am not prepared for this. I don't even know what to do with this. Fortunately, I hope all of you are blessed like I was, guys, that your wife had a better clue than you did. But no idea. And oh my goodness, the mistakes that I made. 
and still make, even with adult children and grandchildren. Many, many mistakes. And like I alluded to, to compound the problem of not having any experience with this, not being trained for this, I was not a Christian when my firstborn came along. And that just made it even more difficult. I wish I knew some of what I know now 35 years ago. Amen. (laughs) That didn't even sound like one of my kids. (laughs) But that is the reality. If I could have just go back, maybe I'd do a better job. But I didn't. I wasn't saved. I knew a little bit of the word that I'd picked up going to church as a kid. But I didn't understand it, and I really didn't know that much of it. And if I had, I believe it would have made a big difference. It wouldn't have been perfect, but it made a big difference. So, what's one of the first things I wish I'd have understood? It's simply this. Whose kids they really are, and what's their purpose? Whose children are they? And I know we all say, you know, I have three children, my children, our children. And I hope somewhere in there, if we really think about that phrase, we go, yeah, I know they're not really mine. They belong to God. God has entrusted them to us to steward them, to train them, to live with them, to cause them to grow up into, believe this or not, the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit in the Christian parents. That's our primary function, to grow these children so that they put their confidence and trust in the Lord and that they grow into the image of Christ because they belong to him. I might have, I can't remember that far back. I maybe knew they really weren't mine. At least I maybe knew it intellectually, but I didn't understand it. The children that God blesses us with are really his. Just listen to a few of these scriptures. In Revelations 4, 11, it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. Children created by him. Isaiah 43, 6 says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, Everyone who is called by name, my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. They're his. He made them. He formed them. And he did that for his glory. Everything that we do as parents should be motivated by that reality. God has given us these children to steward for a season to bring him glory. If I just understood that in the depths of who I am, I'd like to think I would have done a whole lot of things different. I would have been able to respond to situations differently. Done a better job of trying to bring them up in a way that would bring glory and honor to God. Scripture in the last couple of weeks in Genesis 1, verse 28, when he's created Adam and Eve, and it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. The blessing is the children they were supposed to and going to have. They were a blessing from from God. And in Psalms 127, 
verse 3 through 5, it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Just that reality, that simple truth that's so powerful and should be life-changing is the children that God gives us belong to him. Everything we do in raising them should help bring him glory and help bring them to, in greater ways, the image of Christ. Each child formed and made for his glory. Probably have not thought of it this way before when it comes to parenting, but our parenting really should be an act of worship. An act of worship. If what we're doing as parents is to bring him glory, it is a form of worshiping God. We're, we're doing unto him what he deserves. I've never thought of my parenting as an act of worship because I really never understood that they were his. And that was one of the primary purposes they were created, was to bring him glory. And as the one who they belong to, I wish I'd have understood in a better way that he loves them more than I do. He wants good for them more than I do. He knows what's best for them more than I do. And he knows how to accomplish what is best for them more than I do. So often, like so many things in our lives as Christians, and I, I think a lot of us as Christians are guilty of this, there's so many times we take things for granted or we try to accomplish things in our own strength because we think we can, and we hesitate or don't go to the Lord with these things until we're desperate. Anybody act like that? When we're desperate, we finally go to the one that can really do it, who we should have went to when. First thing. And it's interesting, I was looking in the New Testament, and I was trying to find the places where people, parents, brought their children to the Lord while Jesus was still on the earth to have them pray for them. You know, we know that he rebuked the disciples when they were trying to shoo him away once, but doesn't say anything about praying for him. But there's only three places I can find in the New Testament where parents brought their children to the Lord to be prayed for. And in each situation, I think these parents weren't a whole lot different than us they were desperate. They were desperate. They finally had no other place to turn. I think these are stories many of you will be familiar with, and I'm not going to spend much time on them, but in Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21, there's a Canaanite mother, a Canaanite. And the Jews referred to the Canaanites as what? Dogs. This Canaanite woman comes to the Jesus and says, I have a daughter who is demon-possessed. Would you heal her? Cast out this demon. And Jesus says, well, you know, really, I came for the children of Israel. That's who I came for. It's not right that I would give the children's bread to a dog. And the woman, in her desperation, isn't going to be put off by the Canaanites being referred to as dogs. She says, yes, but even dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall to the floor of the master's house. 
And Jesus, in response to this woman coming to her in desperation, says, go, your daughter is healed. She was desperate. In Mark chapter 9, there's another man. This one's a father whose son has been afflicted with a deaf and dumb spirit since childhood. And when this child is brought before him, it tells us that the demon threw the child to the ground in a convulsion. And he was rolling around in the ground and foaming at the mouth. And we're told there that the father says, this is what happens. And at times he's been thrown into the water and he's even been thrown into the fire as this demon is trying to kill him. Can you heal him? Will you heal him? And Jesus says to the demon, it's time to come out. And instantly it's healed. The little boy is healed. And the last one is Jairus, another father. He's a leader in the synagogues, or in the, uh, yeah, synagogues. And he comes to Jesus. Jesus has been ministering, and he comes to Jesus. He says, my little daughter is sick unto death. In other words, my little girl is nearly dead. She's dying. Will you come and lay hands on her and heal her? Out of desperation, she's turn, he's turning to Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, I'll come. And I, and I might talk about this tonight, I'm not sure, but it, it amazes me. If I'm, I'm in this father's place, I am desperate. My little girl's dying, and Jesus says he'll come. And then we're taking off towards there, and all of a sudden, something happens. Some lady comes up and touches the hem of his garment and stops everything and slows things up. And, 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 and I've got to be just frantic. Let's go. She's near death. I'm desperate for you, Lord. You need to do something or my daughter's going to die. But he waits patiently until some of his servants come and say, hey, it's too late. She died. What would I do in that situation? As a father, I'd have been so upset with this lady that got healed, stopped Jesus from getting to my house in a timely fashion. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. She's not dead. And she's healed. For us parents, hopefully we won't fall into those kinds of desperate situations, but we all fall into those situations where we finally call on the Lord. And the reality is, as parents, we should be calling on the Lord all the time. We have given a task of raising his children that in our flesh, we just can't do it well enough. We can't do it. There's a scripture that I do not remember reading before this week. Hopefully I have, but it was in Lamentations. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 19. And the situation here in context, just so you know the context a little bit, this is when judgment was coming upon the city of Jerusalem. And it was horrible. People were dying. People were starving. It was a horrible time in the city of Jerusalem. And that's where this verse is actually targeting the parents at that time in the city of Jerusalem. But I think we can learn from that desperation. It says this, Arise! Cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. 
Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Our children may not be starving on a street corner, but I think we still need to be pouring out our prayers like water and crying out to God for our kids. The days are just getting more difficult for our children. More and more difficult. It's always been hard, but it's getting even harder. We have a culture that's working against God's plan and purposes for our kids. Prayer, calling out to Him. So, having laid that as a foundation, what does, what does successful parenting, or where does successful, successful parenting begin? And I believe it begins with, writing this down so you know where to start, your own relationship with the Lord. That's where successful parenting begins, in our relationship with Christ. We cannot do a good job of raising up children to bring glory and honor to God and cause them and help them to be transported into the image of Christ unless we know him really well. Know him and know the word. Now, regardless of the examples that might come to your mind of some really great parents who you know don't believe in Jesus at all, I don't care how good a parents they are or appear to be, they cannot raise them up in the way that God would want because they don't know him and they don't know his word. Doesn't mean they can't raise good kids in the world's eyes. I'm not saying that. But that's not the purpose that they were given to those parents. They weren't given children with the admonition to go and raise them up so they look good in the world's eyes. Go and raise them up so they behave well, that they're polite and courteous. Raise them up in such a way that everybody likes them. Now, those are all great things, but that's not why they were given to us as parents. They were given to us as parents to raise them up to bring him glory. And the only way that they truly bring him his glory is if they're raised up in such a way that when they have the understanding, they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and they begin to be transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ. We need to know the Lord personally, and we need to know the word of the Lord. I want to read a scripture in Psalm 78. Verse 1, it says, My people hear my teachings. Listen to my words, the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we had heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. And then it goes on in verse 4. We will not hide them from the descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. In verse 5, we see God commands the parents to teach the children. God commands the parents to teach the children. 
We'll look at this a little closer, but the home and the family is the primary place that the children are supposed to be taught and learned and learn. Without going down this trail very far, there was a phrase that caught on by Hillary Clinton when she said, quit laughing, when she said, it takes a child, it takes a village to raise a child. I got to tell you as Christians, that is garbage. That is not true. It takes a godly parent, a godly mother and godly father to raise children. I do not want the village raising my children. The village around us is undermining our culture, a biblical worldview, the, the, the importance of the Word of God, living a godly life. It's undermining all of that. Now, do I want this small village to help me raise my kids? Yes, I do. Absolutely. But the village in a general sense, the world around us, to raise our children, that's not who God gave that responsibility to. We see it here in this scripture, and we can see it throughout scripture. He primarily gave that responsibility to the parents and to take place in our homes. Big job. And what were they to teach? What are we to teach? It says, teach the truth about God. Teach of his wonderful deeds, all that he's done. Pass on his word that he has taught, the word of the Lord. Pass all of these on to this generation, the next generation. Oh, yeah, that generation that hasn't even been born yet because they'll pass it on to the generation after that. The generations, the blessings can be passed on to the second and third and the fourth generation. And what was the purpose of that? That they may have confidence in God. Confidence in God. This parenting thing is a hard job. Anybody agree with that? It's hard. I want to share a couple things before we look, go back to the Word of God from uh, a, I believe it was a message that John Piper actually gave at some kind of conference. And it, the title of his message was Parenting for the Glory of God. And he used some data and research that he didn't quote in what I read anyway. It probably came from somewhere besides him. But two principles that really caught my attention. One, he called it the primacy of unconscious influence. What does that mean? How the things that we do unconsciously are of the greatest importance in training up our children. If you think about it, he says 99% of the actions a parent performs that influence their children are unpremeditated. Think about that for a second. Most of what we do, we don't stop and think about what it's going to do, what kind of impact, what kind of effect it's going to have on the people around us, especially our children. And just think how many hundreds of things, thousands of things we do every day, unpremeditated, that our kids are just watching and listening. And the Piper is saying, those are the things that influence our kids. In case you're trying to have a hard time coming up with, what would they be? Facial expressions? Tone of voice? Posture? Gestures? How you respond to the dog when it dirties your floor? Traffic, when they're going way, way slower than you have to go. A faucet is leaking and your wife wants you to fix and you have no clue how. Only a few of you probably understand my problem there. When your spouse is late and you're already sitting in the car waiting 
for her to get out there or him <laughs> to get out there. You can't believe it when you come home hungry and the food put on the table is stuff you don't like. You're watching TV and the news. Really isn't what you want to hear. You're watching the Vikings and you got something against your wrist. <laughs> Cut it. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, right? How many of you stop and think about what everybody else around you is watching and going to think when you respond? I, we don't. We couldn't. We'd never leave our chair if we had to think about every action that we were going to take. But 99% of our behavior that influences our children happens just that way. Principle two. This one I thought was interesting. The contagious power of a happy example. Meaning? My kids are way more likely to imitate what I do if I do it out of true happiness and joy. Versus the way we do most of the stuff. Research says that children will be more likely to imitate what you do and do it in a way that demonstrates your happiness than they would what you tell them to do or what you tell them, what you demonstrate for them and do, but you don't do it happily. Anybody ever have to do something and you're not happy about doing it? Just try to picture in mind what your facial expressions look like or your posture looks like or the words that come out of your mouth even as you're being obedient. And your kids are, hmm, dad doesn't like that, mom doesn't like that, I don't think I would like to do that either. And he summed it up with the implication of these two principles. First one I think we really need to get. We need to spend more of our energies, more of our focus on becoming a certain kind of person than trying to master parenting strategies. There are a billion books out there on how to be a better parent. And I'm not saying they may not all be good. But we are just going to get burnt out and feel like total failures if we try to master all these parenting strategies versus focusing on becoming a certain kind of person. What kind of person must that be? If you want to influence our children, for God, we need to be a person. Now think about this. Put the dots together. If 99% of what I do that influences my kids happens in an unpremeditated way, I, need to, I already need to be the kind of person that is so in love with Jesus, so obsessed with the word of God and Jesus and who he is, that the Holy Spirit is transforming me more and more into the image of Christ. I am becoming more Christ-like. So when un, all those unpremeditated things come forth out of me, what they're seeing is Jesus. Amen? Everybody falling short? Amen? But that should be the goal. That's the only way it will truly work. All the parenting strategies in the world will work until you get tired someday. (laughs) 
or your kid does something that really frustrates you or your wife says something or your husband does something and all of a sudden, all out the window. Go ahead, Luke. You can say amen once. (laughs) When what comes out of us naturally in an unpremeditated way is the life of Christ, the kids will see something that we want them to model. Now, practically, let me ask this question. What does that look like when my wife wants me to take out the garbage and I don't want to do it? How in the world does Jesus come out of me in that situation? I don't remember anything about Jesus taking out the trash. But I do remember a whole lot about being servants and having a servant's heart. And that it brings joy to my heavenly Father when he sees a servant's heart being manifested in me. All of a sudden, I get another opportunity to serve. Absolutely, honey, I'd love to take out the garbage. So I trained my child to do it so I don't have to. (laughs) Forget that last part, but if that's what we want them to learn, we need to see Jesus just coming out of us in all those situations. I can only imagine some of the words that come out of our mouth when we're driving down the street and that person in front of us doesn't signal, is going too slow, cuts us off. And our kids are sitting there listening and watching. I'll let you decide what it could look like if they'd see Jesus in us. So, as important as it is to be a parent that love God, loves God, have that relationship with him, there are parenting strategies that are very helpful. So I've said all of that not to belittle or put down these strategies, but to show you unless we have this kind of foundation, the parenting strategies will maybe help you to raise pretty good kids. But as Christians, is that all we want? Are pretty good kids? Or do we want to raise children that put their confidence in Christ, as the command was way back in the Old Testament. So I'm going to start with Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that they should go. Even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Man, we could come up with lots of examples where we say, well, gee, it looks like they departed to me. I just have to put my faith and hope and trust in the Word of God. God sees things in a different time frame than I do. But the reality is training up anybody in anything is hard work. Amen? I mean, you know, we had a person at our house this weekend with my daughter and her son who uh, dates one of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Professionals. He just signed a $190 million a year contract. And you know what they do day after day after day after day after day after day? Train. Practice. Top of the world in their given area of expertise, but they train. And we're supposed to train up our children. And it doesn't happen overnight. Training takes, oftentimes takes lots of repetition. It takes lots of encouragement. It takes lots of reinforcement. And then sometimes it takes all of those things over and over and over and over again. You ever had a little child ask you why? Right before they ask you why, 
before they ask you why again. I mean, it's <laughs> just love Jesus, right? <laughs> How do we do these things? It's hard work. Hard work. But according to the word of God, he's given these kids to us as a blessing, as a reward, and a heritage. Is it worth it? If we get to understand those things better, and and really those are the things that are buried deep within our soul, it makes doing all of these things so much more natural. Still takes focus, but so much more natural. Training up. And as I said earlier, the home and the family is supposed to be the primary training environment. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lay down, and when you get up, and anything else you can imagine. Where's that supposed to take place? At home. By who? The parents. That is the primary place and primary responsible for us. Training up is an interesting word. There's a couple of different meanings that they're, they're similar, but training up means to put something in someone's mouth. Another definition of it is putting a bit or a rope in a horse's mouth. But one of the common usages of back in biblical times was to train up the child. This word meant to put something in their mouth. And what the implication was there was the midwives. When a new baby was delivered, the midwife would have crushed, I believe it was figs. Figs are dates. Figs, I think. And put their finger in the crushed figs and they'd put that finger in the baby's mouth and that would stimulate that baby to want milk. The picture there is we should be doing things to whet the appetites of our children for the things of God. Training them up. Doing things. Demonstrating. Teaching. All of these things so that they get a taste for the things of the Lord. I know some kids that hate going to church. You know what I believe might be true? Their parents hate going to church. I know kids that love coming to church, and I'm pretty much certain that their parents love coming to church. And they see one or the other modeled. And the reality is, you know, wouldn't we all prefer to have our children doing things out of a compulsion that comes from inside an internal drive versus an outward compulsion, you're going to do it or else. Why? Because I'm the dad. Why? Ask your mother. <laughs> but we, we, we need to be able to understand and focus on these things and share these things in such a way that they're developing an attraction for the things of God, the Word of God. Oh, oh, we got to do devotions. Look at the kids. They're a mess already. Let's just put them to bed. Well, maybe which is more important? Now, I'm not saying there's not a time. But the kids pick up on all of these things. Parents are the best teachers. In the way that they should go. If you're a control freak like I might be, I read that and think, I know the way they should go. And I'm going to train them up to go in that way. Notice it says, train them up in the way that they should go. Who owns them? Who do they belong to? They belong to him. 
God has a plan and a purpose for every single child. He knew them before he formed them in the womb, right? And they have a destiny in him. As parents, our job is to train them up in the way that they should go. Our, some of us have had more than one kid. You know they don't, aren't all cookie-cutter kids. They're not all the same. They have different personalities, different likes, different dislikes. I don't care. It worked on my first one. It'll work on the second one. Good luck. It probably won't. We are to train them up in the way that they should go into the purposes of God. So that's what he's saying here. Train them up. Give them a taste and attraction for the things of the Lord and the way that you teach them. That they may become who I intend for them to be. How are we going to know all that stuff? We need to be knowing our children. We need to be spending time in the Word. and We need to be praying for our kids. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. However, in the training of our children, there's another command that I probably violated once. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Anybody else exasperate their children? Well, I'm going to say I've never done that because I didn't know what that word meant. (laughs) And then I realized that would be ignorance, but I still did it. Another translation says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our children's feelings matter. Our children's feelings matter. That word exasperate, if you don't know what it means, you maybe don't want to listen. <laughs> but it's saying, don't irritate, infuriate, or frustrate your children. Now, I hope all of us understand the difference between those things and a stubborn kid. The home is not supposed to look like boot camp. We need to realize that rigid, harsh, legalistic parenting will more often than not lead to rebellion rather than what we hoped would happen. Somebody shared with me quite some time ago, rules without relationship brings rebellion. Rules without relationship. Training up our children. If we do it in that type of fashion, we're going to give a totally unnecessary justification for our kids to be rebellious. And we don't want to have rebellious children. But the more we're that way, it justifies. It just rises up in them. A rebellious spirit. And this is what Paul is talking about when he writes this, I believe, to the Ephesians. And it's also interesting when you look at the words there, training in other places in the Bible, in Hebrews in particular, it's taught, the word is used as chastening or disciplining our children. It gives us the idea that there is a training that t- does take place through a form of corrective discipline, a chastening or training. Admonition is more in the terms of teaching. And it's interesting when you look at those two words, the way they're used, training and admonition, chastening or encouraging, you'll notice that those are the same way in a couple of places at least that the word of God is explained. 
in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is possible for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There it is. Instruction, correction, reproof. The word of God in 1 Corinthians 10.1, now all, 10.11, excuse me, now all these things happened unto them for an example, that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are to come. Teaching and instruction. The word of God is still the primary source, and it will do both, done in the right spirit. Children are supposed to be raised by us parents, Christian parents, according to the word of God. So, to kind of throw all this stuff together that's kind of been fragmented, children are a gift from God, and they're given to us to bring him glory. We as parents are given the primary responsibility to raise them so that they will put their confidence in God. A key to raising our children in that fashion is that we need a good, sound relationship with God. The reality that we are unconsciously influencing our kids all the time. Each child is unique, has an ordained destiny by God, and our kids' feelings are important. I'm going to stop there next week. You know, remember that sweet little baby that you held in your hands? What are they called two-year-olds? I, I hate the phrase, but I think we've all heard it, right? Oh, they're in the terrible twos. We need to remember that sweet little baby has something in them that's not so sweet called original sin. And it doesn't take long for that to manifest. And the question is, what do you do with it? Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you so much for the children that you've blessed the people in this body with. God, and many of us have roles to be spiritual parents to our children that are not biological children. We thank you for that responsibility. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient in fulfilling this task that you've given to us to train up our children, that there would be a confidence in you, that they would trust you, that they would become like you. Father, I'm so thankful that we don't have to do that alone, that you have given us the Holy Spirit and you have given us your word. And you have given us the promise that your grace is sufficient in all things. So Lord, I pray for each one of us here that our parents or grandparents or have roles in other children's lives where we are to be in positions of influence, that you would give us grace, that you would help us to not give up because of our failures, but that we would seek you, that we would pray, press in to you for how to do a better job of raising our kids. And Lord, I pray that our relationships with you would grow stronger and stronger that the love, the unconditional agape love of Jesus would flow through us to our kids. That they would know that no matter what, we love them. And that they are loved by you. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide and direct us as we continue about the task of training up our children, grandchildren, children that are put into our lives that we would bring glory and honor to you. 
I pray now too, Lord, that you would go with us as we go our different ways today, that you would continue to watch over us, keep us safe. I pray for the service tonight, Lord. I pray that you would bring people that have nowhere else to turn except to Jesus. God, I pray you would bring unsaved people into this meeting tonight, that they might meet Jesus. I pray for those who would come with a sense of hopelessness, that they would see hope in Jesus. I pray for those who have physical needs, that they would meet the healer, Jesus. I pray, Father, as we go, you would give us opportunities, even during today, to minister the love of Christ to those we come in contact with. We pray all these things for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.